The parent fail series is how do we avoid overall? Because we're not gonna we're not gonna avoid making those mistakes, but how do we avoid making the mistake of neglecting our responsibility and our duty as parents? And then secondly, we got to understand what is our responsibility, what is our duty as parents? What has God called us to do? And so I, I want to start there this morning, and I just want to remind us of our responsibility. And first and foremost, our responsibility is to point our children towards God, that we would be pointing them towards him while they're young. That's our primary responsibility because we can't lead them, we can't force them, we can't drag them. How many of you grew up like I did? You had a drug problem when you were a kid. Um, You were drugged to church on Sunday morning, you were drugged to church on Sunday night, you were drugged to church on Wednesday night, right? So I grew up, I was at the church all the time and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But there was nothing my parents could do to make me put my faith in Jesus Christ, to make me have a relationship with him. And I'm grateful that they didn't try to make me, but they did point me in that direction and they did lead me in that direction. And I'm very grateful for that. We have to understand that our responsibility as parents is to to raise kids who are biblically responsive and morally responsible. That means that, that when they read something in the word of God, that they respond to it and they do it. Right? They don't just read it and say, ah, that seems tough. I don't think I'm going to do that one. Oh, I, I like this one over here. That one seems good. I'm going to do... No, we want our kids to be responsive to the Word of God. That when they hear it, it touches them. And that they do what it says. And as parents, that's our responsibility. We have to start there. And uh, what we've got to understand is, uh, you know, we, we, we want to send our kids out into the world as adults and not on a journey to become one. We want them... This is something that my parents prayed for me and I pray for my kids every single day. They always... They told me this after I graduated high school. They said, we prayed for you that by the time you left home, your faith would be your own. Because it's easy. As I said, as a kid, my parents took me to church. They made sure I was in church. And they made sure that I heard the Bible stories. And it's very easy for kids to walk out of the home and all of a sudden, mommy and daddy aren't there to wake you up on Sunday morning. And what happens? You start sleeping in. No one's there to ask you if you're having your, your quiet time or to say, did you read your Bible today? Did you spend any time in prayer today? And pretty soon that relationship begins to fade away. So they said, what we prayed for you is that your relationship with God would be your own before you left this house. And I think they did a pretty good job of that. And that's my prayer for my kids is we've got to send them out with that relationship with God. We've got to send them out as adults, not on a journey to become one. And one of the ways that that we say this is we want our kids, we want to raise kids who love God with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and can enjoy him forever. Does that sound good? I don't know about you, but that sounds like a plan for me and my kids. Uh, when I think about this and what it means to be successful as a parent, it actually raises a lot more questions for me. It raises questions for me like, where are my kids going to turn when I'm not there? And I don't just mean like if God were to remove me from this earth, which he certainly could do, but I mean, where are my kids going to turn when they're sitting on the school bus and I'm not there to tell them what's right and what's wrong? Where are my kids going to turn when... They're two states away in their dorm room. Where are my kids going to turn in the locker room, in the band hall, in the hallway of the high schools? Wouldn't it be great if there was something that they could turn to, someone that they could turn to that was always true, always right, a firm foundation that they always knew that they could turn to and they could stick to? Thankfully, there is. 
I'm thankful that we do have the Word of God. The Word of God is that, that one thing that they can always turn to because in reality, we live in an R-rated culture. We live in a culture that stands opposed to the things of God. We live in a culture that's going to beat our kids up. with. It's going to put pressure on them. They're going to be facing disappointment. And when those things come, they need something that they can stick a flag in and say, this is always true. This is not going to change. It's not going to untrend. It's not going to be different tomorrow than it was today. This is true. And that is the Word of God. And that's what we're going to be talking about the next few weeks, is how do we give our kids this foundation? How do we set the foundation for them in the Word of God as children? We're going to start this morning by looking at Psalm 19. So if you have your Bible, I hope that you do, uh, we're going to look at Psalm 19. And I, I think this is great. Um, this is great that we were talking about how we can teach our kids to trust in the Word of God and what better place to turn than to the Word of God itself to see what it says about itself. So if you will, turn with me to Psalm 19. And, and uh, you know, the great thing about this is these messages, you may be sitting here today and you're like, well, I don't have kids. I'm college, I don't have kids yet, or my kids are grown, they're out of the house. Uh, it's a great reminder for us as ourselves that the foundation of our lives, the thing that we look to when we face difficult times, when we face hard things, we ought to always come back to the Word of God knowing that it is God's Word, that it can be trusted, and that it it points us in the direction of right and wrong. It tells us how we should live, the things that we should do, and it gives us insight into who God is and who He desires for us to be. And Psalm 19, just to give you a little bit of background, This is written by King David, and he is king over all of Israel. And at this time, Israel is a nation of people that have been chosen by God. They've been kind of singled out to be set apart for him. His desire is that everyone would look at this nation of people who are living according to his laws and his ways, and they would say, wow, God is blessing these people. There's something different about these people. We need to find out what's going on in Israel. We need to find out about their God, and and perhaps we need to worship them. And so David is writing this. And I think he's, he's writing this as a little bit of a defense about how great his God is. Because remember, the nations around them are all worshiping different gods. And let's just see what David says, what God's word says here at the beginning. He says this in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaim the work, proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. There voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a groom coming from the bridal chamber. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. So here, David is saying, look, you want to know how great and awesome our God is, all you have to do is look at creation and you can see that the mountains, the sun, the rain, all of these things proclaim God's glory. Interesting thing, and I really think David is kind of taking a jab at the other nations around him because the other nations around him, they don't recognize that God is the one who created the sun. They worship the sun as a God itself. They worship thunder and lightning and rain as a God itself. They worship the moon as a God. And David's saying, you think those things are cool? You think lightning storms are beautiful? And you think, you think that's cool? 
You think the sun is cool? You think the moon is cool? Imagine worshiping the one who spoke them into existence. That's the God that I serve. That's how powerful he is, that all he had to do was say, let there be light, and boom, the sun exists, and there's light. That's the God that I serve. But David says he recognizes that there are some things that creation just can't proclaim. There's some things about God that we can't just know about creation, uh, through creation. Obviously, God's, God's majesty, his glory can be seen through creation, but creation can't tell us about God's redemption. Creation can't tell us about the son, Jesus Christ, coming and dying on the cross for our sins. So we have to look at God's word. And this is where I love what we're going to see, where David begins to talk about God's word in the next few verses, beginning in verse 7. He says, The instruction of the Lord is perfect renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, which come from the honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warmed by them, and there are there is great reward in keeping them. In these first few verses, we see, uh, we see very clearly, we have a noun, we have an adjective, and we have a verb. And so we're going we're gonna to look at each of these six statements, all have those things. They have this certain way of describing God's word, and the nouns describe the completeness of God's word. I love that it says the instruction, the testimony, the precepts, the command, and the fear We know that it's authoritative. We see all of these things, how complete it is, all the different ways. These things are are not just meant to be taken one by one, but they can be taken as a whole to say that God's word is complete. He's communicated in a number of different ways. He's given us precepts. He's given us commands. He's given us ordinances. He's given us different ways that he's communicated to us. It's complete in everything. I love this idea that it's... it says, describes the word of God as fear. The fear of the Lord is pure. And I love this because it's this idea that the result of reading God's word is that it, it develops this honor, this reverence for us, for God, as we read his word. And it produces in us this great reverence for our God. I also love that we see very clearly the testimony, uh, the, the authority of the word of God repeated throughout this over and over and over again. It says, of the Lord, of the Lord, of the Lord, of the Lord. God's word is complete. There is nothing missing from it. The second thing that we see in these verses is God's character, the character of God's word. It says it's perfect. It's trustworthy. It's right. It's radiant. It's pure. And I love this, all all these things, that it's reliable, it can be trusted, it has integrity, it has authority, it's consistent, it's plumb, it's level, it's solid, it's always going to be there, it's never going to go out of style, and it's never going to untrend, and it's never going to change. Something we can consistently point our children back to, and here's what I love about this, is I think you can also take those statements about the, the character of the Word of God, and you can say it this way, that 
these are also the character that God desires to produce in us as we read the word of God. He desires for us to be perfect, to be trustworthy, to be radiant, to be pure, to be reliable as a result of reading his word. I love this idea of the word of God and how it's unchanging, how it's never going to untrend. There's something that we, we've done with our kids. Our triplets are now six, and we have little Evie. She, she'll be three in September. And uh, we started from the time they were very, very young, and uh, we, we wanted them to have this firm foundation. So if you ask our kids, what is the Bible, even Evie at three years old, she will look at you and she will say, the Bible is God's word and everything in it is true. And I love that we, we repeat that with them over and over and over again. Bear, what is the Bible? Say it loud, buddy. Charlie, what's the Bible? Does God make mistakes? Are there any mistakes in God's word? Where do we look when we have questions about what's right and what's wrong? The Bible. Who tells us what's right and what's wrong? The Bible. God's word. From the time they were little, even little Evie, she gets this. There are no mistakes. Does that mean there's no mistakes in God's word? Yes, there's no mistakes in God's word. Can we trust it? Yes, we can trust it. Can we look to it to guide us? Yes, we can look to it to guide us. The Bible is God's word and everything in it is true. I want them to know this. I want it to be second nature for them. Because I know when they're on the playground at school, I'm not going to be there to tell them what's right and what's wrong. But I know that I can point them to the one who will be able to tell them what's right and what's wrong. The Bible, of, the Bible, God's word, it reveals his character. It's character. It's unchanging. It will always be there. Lastly, next we're going to see the activity of God's word. And before we go there, I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says this. It says, For the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two, double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. The word of God, some of you may recognize it in the NIV translation. It says, The word of God is living and active. It's active. How many times have you ever read a passage and then maybe you go back and, and you're like, okay, this is, what it, this is what God has to say to me. And then you read it two days later and you're like, holy cow, how did I miss this? And then you read it two days later and you're like, wow, God's word is still moving in me. It's showing me more and more about who he is and what he wants me to do. It never changes, but he continues to reveal himself in new ways to us as we read it. And there's things that we may have read a, a number of times that, that we miss what God is saying or we read it in a different circumstance in life and all of a sudden it's like, wow, this makes sense to me now. I get it now. I love that we get to see the activity. It says it renews life. It, it makes the inexperienced wise. It makes the heart glad. It makes the eyes light up. It endures forever. It endures forever. I was meeting with our elder board on Wednesday and uh, every week as we get together as an elder board, I kind of let them know where I'm going with the message and they can either say, no, start over, uh, which thankfully they haven't done that yet. Uh, But usually they have great insight. And one of our elders said, you know, I can remember the day that my wife and I lost our child and I was sitting in a phone booth crying. And it was going to the word of God. It was when I got back in the word of God that my life was renewed. 
that, that I began to, to gain wisdom. And I can tell you from my own experience, having lost our first child, it, it immediately brought those memories. This past Friday, June 14th, was eight years ago that Amanda and I lost our first child. And the very first place that we both turned was to the Word of God to try to make sense of it, to try to understand. And even though we don't have a full understanding of why God would, would allow us to go through this, we trust. We trust that he has a plan. We trust that he had his reasons because we could see that in his word. We could see that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts from Isaiah. His ways are not our ways, declares the Lord. And we could come back to that and we could see its activity. Uh, and, and I see this... Um, we can always come back to it because of its character, because it is complete, and because of its activity. And some of you guys are thinking like, all right, Chuck, we're sitting here in River Rock Bible Church, and your idea of a parenting series is to tell us that the Bible is good and we need to read it. Like, duh. All right, so we're in a Bible church because at some point we all agree like that the Bible is the standard. We have some basic understanding that, that the Bible is God's word. We all agree on this, and this is supposed to be a parenting series, so give me something I can use. Tell me how I take the, the completeness, the, the full character and the activity of God's word, and how do I use this as I'm raising my children? Well, I'm, I'm glad you're thinking those things and asking those questions. I'm really glad, and I want us to look at something. If you look inside your bulletin, you'll see this little chart here, and no, we're not going to do statistics or math, because I'm not good at statistics or math, uh, so we're not going to do those this morning. This is a very simple chart, and it shows, it's broken down by age. You can see 0 to 7, 7 to 14, and 14 to 21, and some of you guys are thinking, hold on, hold on, hold on. I thought 18 was the magic number, like 18 and I'm done. Well, just 20, like 21 is, is the number. Just play with me here for a little bit. All right, so zero to seven. These are the first seven years of their life. The first thing we want to do, this is the stage where we get to imprint things on them, where kids are very impressionable. We say things like, the, chi- the, the moon is made of cheese. And they look at us and say, good, I like cheese. When are we going? Like, they don't question it. They just believe it. And I can tell you, when I was about two and a half, three years old, I remember sitting at my grandparents' kitchen table. My cousins are there. It was the kids' table. My cousins are there. I have cousins that are pretty uh, significantly older than I am, but they're sitting at the kids' table. And one of them says, Charlie, there's a chipmunk under the table. And I'm like looking under her, and I'm like, no, there's no chipmunk there. And all of a sudden, she grabs my knee, right? And I start screaming. I'm screaming bloody murder. And my parents come in the room, and they're like, what's wrong? I'm like, chipmunk, bite me! Right? I'm freaking out because I believe there's a chipmunk under the table. I just took her at her word. I believed everything she said. How many of you know this one? I got your nose. And like the look of sheer terror on your kid's face when they're like, he's got my, he's got, he's got my nose. Like they believe it. This is, the, this is the time in their life when we just get to imprint things on them. And they take us at our word. This is a, a special opportunity where we get to imprint things on them. The second, 7 to 14, this is where we begin to impress things on them, where they are impressionable. And this is where they start to ask those questions that it's no longer good enough that 2 plus 2 is 4. They want to know, how is 2 plus 2 4? Why is it 4? Can you really show me? I want to see it. I want to know. 
And this is the point where we get to impress things on them. And let me just say this. We're going to talk about this next week, but uh, the primary way that we impress things on our kids is not by just saying them, but showing them. And and we're going to talk more about that next week, that they catch more by what we do than by what we say. Right? So you'll have to come back next week and we'll talk more about that. If we want the Word of God to move from their head to their heart, there had better be consistency in what we as parents say and what we do. What we say and what we do. Right? There's got to be that consistency. And then the last stage, from 14 on, right? This is the apprentice stage. So we're going to apprentice our kids. So we've moved from head to heart, and now we move from heart to hands. Think about an electrician, right? He, he, he studies about electricity. He knows it. He's got it inside of him, but it's not until he gets out there with his hands and he gets shocked by the 110 a couple of times that he starts to get really, really good. And if you've ever been around a, a master, an electrician, you know that, like, I, I can remember we had a, a friend bought our first house. We were going to change some light sockets, some electrical sockets, and I was like, you want me to go shut the power off? And he laughed at me. He's like, ha! And he just does it. I'm like, dude. I would, ne- I would never, like, I, that bumper sticker, electricity, or, or um, electricity is not a hobby, like, I take that very seriously. Like, I, I've been shocked before, and I don't ever want to be shocked again. These guys are good. Why? Because they've taken it from their head to their heart to their hands, and they put it into practice. We've got to apprentice our kids. We've got to give them opportunities. What does Jesus do? Jesus starts. He asks his disciples, who do, you, who do other people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And then he sends them out. And he says, now go and do. Now that you know. Now that you've seen me do it. Now you go and do it. So we have this imprint. We have impress. And we have apprentice. So at this very first stage, what is it that we want to imprint? What is it that we want to imprint on our kids? The first thing that we want to imprint on our kids is this. Authority. We want them to get this idea of authority, and not just generic authority, not just parental authority, but the authority of God's word. This is the thing that we're going to imprint on them, that every single one of us, even as adults, has to submit to authority. And the ultimate authority that we submit to is the word of God. The word of God is the ultimate authority. At this stage, at the imprint stage, we get to lead from size and position. This is when we get to say things, when they say why, you get to say because I'm the daddy and I said so, right? This is the stage where when your kid is throwing a fit at the restaurant, you can pick them up out of their seat and you can remove them. In fact, I encourage you to do that. We all thank you when they do that, right? Pick your kids up, take them away from the table and have that conversation and let them know we don't behave this way at the table. If we're going to go back to the table, you need to cut it out. Otherwise, you and I are going to sit here outside the restaurant for the rest of the meal, right? We can pick them up. We can do that. We lead from size and position and you'll see that the arrow goes downward. And the idea is as they get older, we're no longer leading from size and position. Some things have to change. But what we have to understand is as we're talking to our kids, and and I know this is going to be hard to believe for you, but uh, every once in a while we have to talk to our kids. And we talk to them and we say, look, the, the hitting, the biting, the pinching, the kicking, the taking, the arguing has got to stop. I know it's hard to believe that my kids would do that right? They're perfect. No, they do it a lot. We have these conversations and we tell them it has to stop it. It's not just because 
daddy's frustrated and tired of listening to the screaming and the squealing and the, the fighting. It has to stop because God's word says we don't treat people that way. I'm under that authority and you're under that authority. And God's word says that I, as your dad, have to correct this. Let's do this. All right? And at our house, we have a little friend. We call him Rod. He is the rod of instruction. Uh, he's a little wooden spoon. And when we talk about Rod, you can see the little kids, their hineys kind of clench up. Like they know what's coming next. And we follow through on that because we want them to understand the authority. We want them to understand and get that. I, I can remember being uh, serving as a youth pastor, and there was a kid that came through, and he was messing around, jacking around, doing some stuff, and I could just see that somebody was going to get hurt. This was not going to go well. And I said, hey, I, can you guys uh, maybe not, you know, let's, let's not do that. And this barely in sixth grade, like 40-pound soaking wet kid looks at me and says, you ain't my daddy. I don't have to do a darn thing you say, except he didn't say darn. And I thought, you better be glad I ain't your daddy. Because I got a rod in the back of my truck that <laughs> has your name on it, right? And I just said, all right, you know, let's, uh, let's go find your daddy and let him have this conversation with you. But it was a complete and utter lack of respect for authority. And here's what, what we tell our kids. We tell our kids that mommy and daddy expect you to obey the first time with a happy heart. We expect you to obey the first time with a happy heart. And I think those two are very important. Because you can obey. I can tell you to go clean your room. And you can all the way up the stairs, stomp your feet, and go clean your room. But we still have a heart problem. We have an attitude problem that we have to address. Right? So we ask them to obey the first time with a happy heart. If those two things aren't there, then we have conversations about discipline and correction and what needs to happen. And here's what we tell them. You have to learn to obey mommy and daddy the first time with a happy heart because someday you have to learn to obey God the first time with a happy heart. And this is something that my parents taught me. My parents would say this to me. They would say, Charlie, if you don't learn to obey us, your parents whom you can see, whom are right in front of you, if you can't learn to obey us, you will never learn to obey a God that you cannot see. We've got to imprint this idea of authority early on in their lives. We've got to get this right. We've got to get this right. Because what happens is as they get older, we have an opportunity. We don't lead out of of size and position anymore because if we try to do that, how many of you have ever heard an 18-year-old say, stop treating me like a child? If we don't get authority right when they're young, then we end up trying to maintain this level of authority high all the way across And we end up with the kids rebelling against us because now they're older and they don't want to be treated like a child. But we have this opportunity. The opportunity is for relationship. That we would get to lead out of relationship. And this is something that increases over time. And this is a beautiful thing. This is an awesome thing when we do this. How do we do this? Uh, uh, We get to do this. And and I can tell you, just from my experience growing up as a kid, I can remember being uh, 18 years old, moved out of my parents' house two weeks after I graduated high school. I moved to a different state and took a job uh, in a different state. And I can remember calling my parents and just saying, I'm so lonely. There is no one here that I work with, and I just don't know what to do. And my parents sat down with me, and they prayed with me, and they opened the Word of God, and they said, here's what the Word of God says. 
about you feeling lonely right now. You never need to forget that God is with you. And when I first got married and I had, I had struggles, I was struggling as a husband, I would struggle as a father, I'd call my parents and I knew that I could rely on them because I knew that they were going to point me back to the word of God. And we had this relationship. Over time, they were able to point me, uh, point me to, these, to these things. So how do we imprint the word of God? How do we, how do we make sure that this happens? Well, one of the things that, that we do, going back to imprinting the word of God and its authority in our lives, in, in our family, we memorize scripture together. And one of the very first scriptures that we learned with all of our kids is Psalm 119.11. It says, I have treasured your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Psalm 119.11. And then what we've done is they've gotten older as we found verses for each and every one of our kids very specific verses. We have some kids in our family that when they start to struggle with anger, we've had them memorize Proverbs 29.11. What does Proverbs 29.11 say? It says, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps it in check. So when my kids start to throw a fit because they're angry, I don't have to correct them. I just say, what does Proverbs 29.11 say? A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps it in check. All right, are you being a fool or a wise man right now? being a fool. Do you want to be a fool or a wise man? I want to be a wise man. All right, what can you do differently? And it's no longer me correcting them as dad. It's the word of God. It's the word of God correcting them. Another verse we had them memorize was 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. We had our triplets memorize this one before they went into kindergarten this year. Because we knew that we weren't going to be there to pick their friends. We weren't going to be there to determine who they spent all their time with at recess and in the classroom. So we had them memorize this verse and said, okay, make sure you're choosing good friends. The kid who's always being called on by the teacher because they're talking, probably not the best choice to be your best friend. You can be friendly with them, but probably not the best choice to be your best friend. Because we want them to know, we want them to have these verses. And here's the crazy thing. So each of our kids, we had three verses in general that we wanted them to memorize. One of them was uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways, and he will guide you on the right paths. So we had them memorize this. Okay, so what does that mean? Where do you turn when you don't know what you're supposed to do? God. God will lead me on the right path. So we had them memorize there was about six or seven verses that they had memorized. We're going down to my parents' house at Christmas. Evie is just turned two. She's like two years, three months. And I'm, we're going through Bible verses on the road. And I asked, I said, who thinks they can do all seven? And Evie says, Evie says, me, 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 two and a half. I was like, all right, give it a shot. She does all seven. We had actually only worked with her on two verses. But she's able to do all seven. Why? Because she heard her brothers and sisters doing them. She had picked up over and over and over again. As mom was taking her to school, she had heard it. That word of God is imprinted on her heart forever and ever. And I can tell you there are verses in my life that I have memorized today because it's been imprinted on my heart. One of the things that we've done in our family to help imprint this word of God is uh, we were given this Bible when our triplets were, were born. You can see it's, it's a worn out Bible. This is, Bible has been used a lot. This is the Bible in, in pictures for little eyes. And I love this because it not only gives you just a summary of the story, but it also tells you where in the Bible you can turn to read the full story. So a lot of times we would read the summary and then we'd read the full story for them. And we'd let them stay engaged by looking at the pictures. Um, 
And this was just something that we've done. We would do it every single night after bath time. They're still usually like running around. We're trying to get diapers on them. But we would open this up and we would read this to them. We've used it with Evie as well. Um, The other thing that we do at our house is we have, I came across this a couple months ago, uh, about six months ago. It's God's creation A to Z. These are little devotional cards and, and these are fantastic. In fact, our kids love them so much that most nights at dinner, uh, a lot of times I forget, but they will run and they'll grab God's creation A to Z. And they'll ask to do these cards at dinner. And I can't get them out of the box here. But I want to read the first one to you. The first one is, go to the ant, you sluggard. And you can see that it's got this nice picture of an ant. It goes from A to Z. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. And then it has a little devotion for you to just read and walk through and some questions for you to take your kids through. And this is something that we do over and over and over again. And we go through, when we get done with Z, the kids are like, we know what comes next after zebra. It's ant. Tomorrow night is ant. We're doing ant tomorrow night. Let's do ant, right? Go to the ant, you sluggard. And you know what's great is it talks about laziness. So when the kids are being lazy or they're not working as a team, guess what I say? Are you being an ant or a sluggard? Which one do you want to be? And we let the word of God be the thing that corrects them. I can remember Evie, there was one night we had been talking about the word of God. We were talking about Romans, uh, Romans 8. It was in our reading plan and uh, it came up about there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we were talking about that and how, you know, we're not, those who put their trust in Jesus, we don't get punished when we get to heaven. We might, we might miss out on rewards if we haven't obeyed God, but we don't get punished. And so she like latched onto this idea. She was about two at the time. And there was a time when we needed some correction and Rod had already been removed from over the door frame and we're going upstairs and I'm carrying her and she's like, but I trust in Jesus, but I trust in Jesus. Like, I'm glad that she gets it, that when you trust in Jesus, there is no condemnation, but that's not exactly how it works, right? We still have discipline on this earth, but she got it. It had, it had been imprinted on her heart and I'm so grateful for that. I, I love this last part because what we see is this relationship as we grow, as we go up, as we continue on with our kids, we get to grow in this relationship. And here's the last thing that I want us to see. I want us to see the benefits of God's word, the benefits of God's word. Look at these last four or five verses, beginning in verse 10. They are more desirable than gold. God's word is more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, which comes from the honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them. There is great reward in keeping them. Who perceives his, un- his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from his willful sins. Do not let them rule over me. Then I will be innocent and cleansed from the blatant rebellion. May the words, this is the key, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Think about that. All creation declares God's majesty. We know that his word is true. We know that it's good. We know that it has rewards. And at the end, it comes back to relationship. The psalmist says, God, you are my rock and my redeemer. It's this idea of an intimate relationship. And as we trust in the word of God, as it's imprinted on our heart, as it it begins to, to be impressed on our hearts and then be fleshed out with our hands, 
we begin to have this intimacy with him. We begin to have this relationship with him. We see that God has spoken, that he is gracious, and that he has our best in mind. Isn't that what we want for our kids? For them to know that no matter what, the creator of the universe has their best in mind. And it may not be what they think is their best or what we think is their best, but God is working according to his will to produce good things in them. I don't know about you, but my desire is for my kids at 15, 16, 18, 21, 30, 50 years old, that someday they would sit back and they would say, God, you are my rock and my redeemer. Because I know that that your word your word has been imprinted on my heart. It's been impressed, impressed on my heart. And I've lived it out. Your word is complete. It's full of character. It's active. And I'm enjoying its benefits. So I have a little challenge for us today. The challenge for us today for the next three weeks, how do we imprint the word of God on your child? Maybe you're here, maybe, maybe you, don't, you don't have kids. Like I said, you may be a college student, you don't have kids yet, or you're an empty nest and you're thinking, what, what do I do? Uh, here's, here's what I want to challenge every single one of us. Maybe today you'd say, I'm here, I have kids, and I, how do I start to imprint the Word of God on their lives? Here's, here's what I would say to you. Imprint it on your own life first. No matter what your past is, no matter where you've been, start today and make a commitment. Say, I'm going to spend time in God's word every single day. I'm going to spend some time in God's word every single day. In fact, do I have a parent of a toddler, a toddler under preschool? preschool. Do I have a parent under preschool who would say, you know what, today, come on down, come on down. This is for you. This is for you. Today, I'm going to start reading God's word with my child. And I'm going to start imprinting it on their word. All right, how about under, let's say, what do you think? Third grade? Third grade and under. This is, uh, this is a Bible that my uh, kids got. My daughter got one for Christmas, and she read it in about two days, right? Uh, because she just couldn't put it down. And so then we had to buy the boys each one. All right, Janine, come on up. And uh, this is great. We love this. The kids pull it out. And one of the great things about this is it says something to ask and then something to do. And it's, it's great for a little devotional with your kids. In fact, we actually let our kids take turns leading the devotional in our house. They get to take turns having Bible study. And then lastly, we have God's creation A to Z. Uh, how many of you guys have, we'll say elementary under, so third through fifth? How many of you have a third through fifth grader? Right here. Come on up. We'll give you these, these. Uh, and now I expect, I expect to see you guys this week. Maybe post something on Facebook or send us an email of you and your kids enjoying these together and let us know how it's going. Um, for the rest of you, I would encourage you to do this. Imprint it on your heart first. Say today, we have a reading plan at riverrockbible.com under the resources. We have a reading plan. One chapter a day, five minutes, that's all it takes. Let your kids see you reading the word of God. Here's the other thing that we're going to do. We're going to take a three-week challenge. If you open up your bulletin, you'll see at the bottom, there's a great verse there. Psalm 119.11. I've treasured your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. This is going to be our memory verse for this week. And we're going to say, as a church family, we're going to memorize this together. 
And here's what I'd ask. Whether you married, single, kids, empty nester, no matter who you are, let's begin today imprinting and pressing the Word of God on our own lives. And what I'd love for us to do is I'd love for us to work on memorizing this verse this week, and then I want you to get on your computer or on your phone, and I want you to take a video. If you have kids, do it with your kids. If you have grandkids, do it with your grandkids. If it's just you and your your spouse, just do it, you guys. If you're single, grab your roommates. Get all of you guys together, college kids, worship team. I see you guys in the back. I wanted to see a video of all of you guys. So take a video and then go on our Facebook page and post it, and we'll upload it. I want to see us as a church beginning to imprint and impress the Word of God on our own lives. Can we do that? How many of you say right now, I'm going to memorize this verse with my family this week? How many of you would commit to that right now? Awesome. I love it. Don't be afraid to do that. Let's begin impressing and imprinting the Word of God on our lives because of its character, because of its completeness, because of its activity, and because of its benefit. It doesn't matter where you are right now. You can start. You can take steps to begin pointing your kids towards the the power and the authority and the benefits of God's word. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is complete, that it has character, that you desire for it to develop character in us. We thank you that your word is active and we thank you that your word has benefits. Lord, no matter where we are today, whether we've never opened a Bible or perhaps maybe we've walked away from reading our Bible regularly, would you begin with us as adults, allowing us to imprint your word on our hearts, that we would make it a priority, that we would look only to your word as the complete authority and ultimate authority in our lives, and would you help us impress it on our kids, that we would treasure your word in our hearts, that we may not sin against you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.